from Acts chapter 10 and can be found on page 1042 of the Church Bibles. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's home was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you were looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. 
Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only human myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or visit them. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. They circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even onto Gentiles, for they heard them praying in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Thank you. What a story. What an absolutely tremendous story. It's the setting, the beginning of the breakout of the church into the world. And this really marks the beginning of the reason why we are worshipping. That we have been called into the church to find Christ as our saviour. It's the beginning. Here's Peter. He's had a vision. He's not quite sure what it's all about, but he knows God's behind it somewhere. Kill and eat. But those animals are not in the Jewish dietary code. I can't kill and eat them. They're unclean. And I've never done that. 
kill and eat. Anything I have made clean, you are not to call impure. Huh? What's that all about? And then three men arrive from a Roman centurion, Cornelius, who's asking Peter to go with them to a Gentile household? What's that all about? And the message is coming, Peter, go with them. I've sent them. Well, okay, Lord, you're saying, I don't know why, but you're saying, I'll go. And off Peter goes. What's it all about? Those things I have made clean, you are not to call impure. Go to a Gentile household. No? The wonderful thing is Peter went. It's quite amazing. This was a person for whom this was not the done thing, who actually, because God spoke to him, did it. And because of that, the world took a different direction. The church took a different direction. Up till then, this new group who believed Jesus was the Messiah was a Jewish sect, just a small group among many different sects. From this moment on, it became a worldwide church. It took time, but that was the beginning. That was the beginning. Peter obeyed God and Peter went. And what did he see? A group of people, Gentiles, who were desperate to know about God who were desperately trying to serve this God that they'd heard about. And who, when Peter spoke to them, suddenly received the Holy Spirit. They began speaking in tongues. They began worshipping God. And Peter was, ha! Huh. And he turns round to the others who've come with him and said, look, they've received the Holy Spirit like we have. What do we do? There's only one thing for it. We baptize them. Hey, hang on a minute, Peter. They haven't a clue what you're baptizing them into. Do we know they're following the Jewish law? Have they been circumcised? Are they willing to be circumcised to become Jews like us? You can't just baptize them. But you know, at that moment, at that moment in time, all that mattered to Peter was this tremendous act by the Holy Spirit that they had, that God had sent the Holy Spirit to these people. They were accepted by God. What God had declared clean, he was not to declare unclean. I'll baptise them. And he did. Amazing. Got him into a bit of bother later because some of the others didn't quite follow his reasoning quite the same way he did and they really wanted to stop it hang on a minute Peter slow down God can't possibly mean that he can't possibly want that lot in with us oh could have all sorts of connotations that could I mean what might they want they aren't going to do the same things we are not used to the same customs we are and there's more of them than there are of us Are you sure you know what you're doing, Peter? It's a new way forward. And how does the church react 
when the Holy Spirit acts in a way that we're not expecting him to do. And when God seems to be telling us to do something that we thought wasn't doable. Not easy, is it? Not easy. It wasn't easy for Peter. And it's got no easier down through the ages. Peter had to face his critics. And he did backtrack a little bit. In fact, he backtracked so far that Paul, who was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, told him off at one point and said, Peter, how can you? You know what God said and you know what you did. How can you now say that's not right? You know it isn't. And Peter had to think again because he got a bit scared and got a bit worried. Just like we do sometimes. When we see God moving and we go with him and then we think, hang on a minute, there's a cliff edge there. I don't think I want to go any further. But God moves. And Peter followed. And that was a wonderful thing. Because God acts in unexpected ways, in unexpected places. And so often the church lags behind. Or even goes backwards. What's God saying? Hang on, but we go into our Bible and we we look back and, you know, there's all these rules and regulations. Have you tried reading the Bible through from the beginning? You get to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They're quite a struggle to get through because there's lots and lots of rules and regulations. What do we do? I mean, some of them we see the point of and some of them we're not so sure about and, well, really... You know, when anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering, a special free will offering, it must be without defect or blemish. Be acceptable. Don't offer to God the blind, the blind, the lame, or the maimed, or anything with warts or festering or running sores. Hang on a minute, God. We aren't likely to bring a cow into worship. Um, when a cow or calf is born, it's to remain with its mother for seven days, and then from the eighth day, it's acceptable as a sacrifice. Ooh. Six days when you are to do any work, but on the seventh day, which is the Lord, sacred to the Lord your God, you are not to do any work. Hmm, interesting, yes. You did belong to the Lord's Day Observance Society once. You know, you didn't do anything on Sunday. Except go to worship. When you reap, this is a lovely one, when you reap a, a, a piece of corn at harvest, you are to wave it before the Lord. We aren't likely to do that either. There's an awful lot in here. Hmm. And certain other things which we certainly wouldn't do. Take the blasphemer outside the camp, lay their hands on him and say, anyone who curses God is responsible and then stone them. Hmm. Not quite acceptable nowadays. Not in England and not in the Christian church. Rules. And not only in the Bible, of course, we have a few of our own. I had a look on Google to find out what rules are on our statute book. There's some interesting ones. Do you know that MPs aren't allowed to wear armour in Parliament? (laughs) Quite interesting. Maybe one or two of them would quite like to, actually, at times. It is an offence to beat or shake any carpet, rug or mat in any street in the Metropolitan District. I'm not sure if that applies to Camborne as well. Have you ever checked? 
you ever shake a rug in the street? Hmm. It's illegal to keep a pigsty in front of your house unless you hide it. So if you thought about keeping pigs, keep them at the back. It's illegal to hang a washing line across the street. They didn't tell them that in Leeds where I started teaching because there were regularly washing lines along the street and if a furniture van went up, the washing line went as well. Yes. Hmm. It's illegal to sing any profane or obscene song in the street or to wantonly disturb people by ringing their doorbells or knocking on their doors or to permit a servant to stand on a window ledge in order to clean or paint it. That's just a few. And they're still on the books. And actually, there is a law on the books, and I didn't know it, which actually puts the date of Easter as a set date. It was, I think, 1962 it was passed, but it hasn't been implemented. Interesting, all the laws. Interesting which ones we hold on to very firmly and which ones we uh, kick to one side and out of the way because we really don't want them. They uh, get in the way of our lives. So we we only have the ones we think are worth having. And it's a bit like that with the church. When we look at new ways forward, we're very good at looking backwards at the laws, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, or even the letters of Paul, and say, oh, I like that rule. Yeah, that keeps that lot out. That's rather nice, keeps me in. Oh, I don't like that one. That would knock me out. No, 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 we can't have that one. I've got to be in. They've got to be out. Hmm, yes. So we go through the laws and the rules and the regulations to see where God is acting according to us. Because after all, we deserve God's grace, don't we? We believe God died for us and forgave all our sins and set us free to live a life with him in eternity. What about him? Hmm, not sure about him. What about her? Hmm, not sure about her. No, God's grace is for me. We don't like to think we're doing that. And we all like to think we're open-minded. And we all like to think that we are a universal church that includes everyone. Until we face the problem of what do we do with the person who is not quite what we think is the sort of person God would want. The lawbreaker, the one we call evil, the one we think is outside the pale what do we do and that isn't an easy question and even coming to a bit closer to home Paul had a wonderful passage where he said before God there is neither male nor female rich or poor free or slave you know they're all one in Christ Jesus but it was a bit difficult to implement at that time with these sort of cultural norms. So he got a bit worried about it and thought, oh, actually, if we put that into place in its totality, we might have a few problems. We might have some rebellions. The church will face a lot of problems. People won't like it. 
So we better be a bit clearer. So in certain places, he said, mm, women, you keep quiet. In other places, he sort of, well, you know, maybe, maybe you ought to do it this way because it will cause too much upset if you don't. And slaves, well, our whole system is based on slavery. We can't actually free them all at the moment because how would our commerce go? How would our lives be? They wouldn't cope and we wouldn't cope. No. So he got a bit worried, as some of his letters say. But the Holy Spirit, now funnily enough, the Holy Spirit isn't worried. The Holy Spirit works where the Holy Spirit works and goes where the Holy Spirit will go and doesn't look at what the person is or has been, just what the person can become with God's power within them. I was listening, we went to an ECG conference, a Christian conference up in Scarborough at Easter, and we were listening to a prison chaplain who has got a series of meditations based on the Bible. And he was taking us through them, and he said he started them in prison. He started them because two women, or rather one woman came to him and said, I want to pray, but I can't. I can't, just can't pray. And he sort of tried various ways. Nope. Can't, can't pray, don't believe God's there, can't talk to somebody I don't believe in, can't pray. But I've got a problem. I, I, I really want, but I can't. So he told her a story from the Bible, just a simple story, one of Jesus' parables, and he spoke to her. And then when he finished, he said, right, you ask God what you want to ask him. Ask him a question. Done it. Right. He said, okay. Now, what's God telling you? Just listen. What's God saying to you? Done it. Oh, he said, oh, okay. What happened? Well, he came and I gave my life to him. Right, what happens next? And he said, a couple of weeks later, I was talking to her again. She said, you know, the problem is... Now I've given my life to Jesus. I can't tell a lie. And I've always told lies. My whole life has been a lie. She'd been a drug addict. Can't lie. And he discovered it was quite true. She couldn't. God had spoken. She had answered. Life changed. What God can do. The Holy Spirit comes upon people and we, the church, lag behind because we don't want to believe that that can really happen to them or them or them, only to us. But God says, I want everyone in my kingdom. My love, my love is poured out to everyone and I want my church to pour out that love too. I don't want my church to be judgmental. I don't want my church to decide that they can include or exclude those who they want. I am the host and I welcome and I give the invitation. So what is a church going to do?
So many people will say they've been hurt by the church's attitude to them. Now, as I was saying to the earlier congregation, it's 25 years ago, apparently, that women first ordained into the Anglican church, and not much longer before that, that women were ordained into the Methodist church, and there are still some people who disagree with it. And I was told by somebody that I certainly shouldn't preach, I'm a woman, and if I continue to do it, I'd end up in hell. I'm sorry, but God calls you to do, and you do. And he doesn't see woman, female, male, transgender, heterosexual, homosexual. He doesn't see the titles that we give. He sees people. People who need saving. People who need to know him. People who need to be told that he loves them. And what they do with their lives is up to them, between them and God. Ruled by love. That's what the church should be. Governed by love. Open to love. Love speaks. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And we need to keep up. We need to have that courage of Peter. We need to stop trying to justify ourselves. Justify why we tell some people they're not included. We need instead to follow the leadings of the Spirit, just as Peter did. We need to find that courage that will move and say, God's moved, we must move. What God's called clean, we must not call impure. He's included everyone. That's why we're here today. And that's what our church needs to be. It needs to go out with a message. All are welcome. All are welcome here, and that means everyone. But it's jolly well not easy. And when we see other people's blindness, don't forget to look at our own. For we all have blind spots, and we need to bring them to God and say, Lord, give us the vision. Give us the vision, and let us follow. Amen.